In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Well, the Badgers getting ready to face Eastern Michigan on Saturday night. Six o'clock kick at Camp Randall Stadium. For some reason, it's decided to be 90 degrees on Saturday. Not overly happy about that, but uh, <laughs> the, the last uh, vestiges of summer, I guess, Jesse. Uh, but Wisconsin's going to be looking to bounce back after losing 16-10 to 10 against Penn State. Uh, they faced an Eastern Michigan squad that beat an FCS opponent last week. Uh, a familiar name on that Eastern Michigan squad, Ben Bryant. We'll talk about him in a little bit. We'll also... Uh, we didn't do it last week, but we picked, we're going to be picking a bunch of games this week in case you want to lose money or if you want to fade us and win money. Either way, however you want to use our picks, I think we're okay with either, either way. And then uh, uh, we'll get into a little bit of what Paul Chris had to say about uh, his memories of 9-11. He was in San Diego, obviously the 20th anniversary, going to be coming on Saturday uh, when Wisconsin uh, plays. And um, so he, he talked about that. He was out in San Diego and had some vivid memories and also his memories of going to the Ground Zero Memorial when Wisconsin played in the Pinstripe Bowl a couple of years ago. So we'll get to that. But wanted to start with a couple of players that were a bit surprising uh, last Saturday. We'll start with Jalen Berger because I think it's a bigger surprise than the other one that we'll talk about. But uh, Paul Christ has been, I don't want to say um, peppered with questions about Jalen Berger, but he kind of has. Uh, you asked him after the game, then someone else asked him about it Monday, and then you asked about it again today. And the answers have continued to be, you know, Ches Malusi, Isaac Arendo, not enough carries, whatever, whatever that means. And then, but today, I think because it was probably the third time he's been asked about it, he threw out there's not some sideshow going on that's keeping Jalen Berger off the field. Because I think people, when they see this, Jesse, when when he did not play on Saturday, it was like, well, is he suspended? Is he injured? Is there something going on? Because it just didn't make any sense that a guy that was your leading rusher last year and then spent a majority of the first team reps, or I should say the majority of the fall practices that were open to the media running with the first team along with Ches Malusi ends up not playing and not looking like he uh, expected to play with the way he was lining up. So uh, Paul Chris at least threw that out there that there's no sideshow. I asked Paul again after his uh, practice on Thursday for two reasons. One, as you addressed, it doesn't make any sense. And, and certainly the coaching staff is in practice and they see everything. And we haven't had a chance to watch practice since the second week of fall camp. So things could have changed. And the second reason is this is what fans want to know. This is a, a topic that they're curious about, just like we are, for the same reason that it doesn't make sense. And I, I, you can take Paul at his word that Chez and Isaac have shown that they deserve the opportunity and maybe Jalen fell behind. I Personally, I have a hard time believing that if you had 44 carries to give to your running backs, that Jalen wouldn't be in a position to earn any of them. Um, but again, Paul has, has continued to say that Chez and, and Isaac earned those opportunities. And this week, what he said is that, because I asked Paul, uh, ha, what does Jalen need to show you <laughs> in order to play? And would you expect him to play? this week against Eastern Michigan. And it's, as you said, he said, I've liked the way that Jalen has practiced this week. There's not a sideshow going on. He's a guy that's had success before and he was young last year as a true freshman. And he also said, as long as he continues to approach it the right way and work, which he's been doing and he had a good week of practice, his opportunities will come. So 
I don't know exactly what that means. It feels very strange to us based on everything we know and have seen. Um, and I don't, I don't know exactly what to expect. You know, I, I wrote a story this week about Ches Malusi and his debut performance because he ran for 121 yards. You had mentioned on our last show that hadn't been uh, a debut like that since 2006. But a, a lot of my comments were peppered with the fact that he averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Now, some of that wasn't his fault, obviously. Uh, there, were, there were four runs that went for a loss. And, um, but I just wonder if Jalen's in there. I mean, we saw the burst that he had. We saw he can get yards in a hurry. I, I'm, I'm interested to see where things stand with him and what he can do when he does get in there. Over under five and a half carries for Jalen Berger on Saturday. Under. <laughs> until you see it, right? Like until you see him on the field, I don't know, you know, exactly what will happen because it was the same thing that happened last year, though, Jesse, but with, uh, you know, the Illinois game. And I feel like some of that may have been the knee uh, that, that kept him down because I don't I don't know if he was fully able to go in fall camp last year. We didn't get to see fall camp last year, so we don't know exactly what it was. But obviously with the with the situation with his knee, I think that may have kept him out the first game against Illinois, but he acted almost exactly the same in terms of body language. And I know it's very dangerous to try and read body language of an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, but he was standing essentially in the same place as he was against Illinois when he knew he wasn't getting in. And, and then the following week against Michigan, he played a pretty big role in that, in that win. So we'll see. I mean, there wasn't obviously a Chesma Lucy last year and Isaac Rendo was injured. So, you know, maybe there was kind of everything came together and, and Jalen was kind of forced into action and, he obviously delivered, but I have no clue what's what that's going to look like on Saturday night. And, you know, if there's going to be more than 44 carries this time, I think, because I think they're going to be up, they're going to be running the ball. If he doesn't get any sideshow, if he calls, if he doesn't call it a sideshow, whatever he wants to call it, there's something going on. If he, if it doesn't happen on Saturday night, I would, I would tend to agree. <laughs> I mean, it is very strange. And, and all we have to go on is what Paul has said. Cause again, we haven't been able to watch anything. So, but he's talented enough to be <laughs> getting some carries, uh, assuming he's fully healthy. And if he is, um, then it would be it would be very strange to see him on the sideline the whole game on Saturday night. Yeah, right. Like if like Julius Davis or Brady Shipper getting carries before him, then yeah, that'd be again that would just be quite the the change from what we saw in fall camp. But we'll see how it plays out. The other guy that was a surprise last week was just how poorly I think uh, Tyler Beach played. And, uh, and that's not me saying Tyler Beach played poorly. That's Tyler Beach saying, I mean, anybody that watched it could tell you that, right? But I'm not the only one that's saying that. Tyler Beach is saying it. He said, quote, I think I played poorly, to be honest. I didn't play up to my standards personally, and there's no excuses for that. While there weren't any excuses for that, there were, probably is worthwhile to note that there were certainly um, some things in his path to that starting spot that probably weren't ideal. The injury, the foot injury just before fall camp, the fact that he was moving over to left tackle just his second time, playing left tackle in a game or to stay starting a game at left tackle. Uh, the inexperience of, uh, you know, him, him having a lot of time to work with Josh Selsner. Like there was a lot of things that go into it, but he was, he was not good. He was, he was not good. He, he really did struggle. And I think it is important, even if he wouldn't want to make excuses to, to emphasize the fact that he only practiced five times. And the reason I say that is because I go back to something that Paul talked about earlier in fall camp, he was asked a question about Jack Nelson, who, as we know, only played 11 snaps last season, had positioned himself to be the starting right guard. And, and you remember what he said, Paul went on a long story about 
believe it was when he was in San Diego that they had um, an offensive lineman who had been in the pros for 15 years or decade plus. And Paul had asked him about how long do you need to get ready? This is a guy who's as experienced as any offensive lineman in football. And he was telling Paul that, well, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like, you know, well, I need a week of practice to, to get ready to get my body right. And then I need, um, play in a game just to get some snaps under my belt. And then I need to get through the first half. And, and he talked about that. It basically took four full weeks for a guy with a decade in the NFL of experience to be fully prepared mentally and physically to handle the load. Um, and th- certainly the NFL is, is a, a higher level, but still for someone who basically practiced less than a week, that's a difficult task to come in and, and stop some of those guys coming off the edge for a Penn state defense that certainly looked pretty darn good in the opener. I would expect him to be better assuming he has the week to practice. Um, again, I think that is noteworthy and we'll see how it, it works out in the, in the second week. It's going to be a, l- a little bit different defense. I suspect uh, that he's got a block. The thing that kind of caught me when I was talking to him was about how he got in his own head after just like one mistake. And he didn't really necessarily think that that would happen with a guy who's played as much football as he did. But he said, quote, that's that's what it comes down to. Just not thinking too much. You get beat one time and you're starting to think in your head like, oh, shoot. But it just comes down to being confident mentally, just knowing you can do this. You can't get in your own head. And he did, though. You know, what I mean, like he, he did get in his own head and it, it, it was uh, it was disastrous. But he needs to. And Joe Rudolph apparently told him this is, you know, just trust your fundamentals, trust your technique. I've seen you do it in practice. I know you can do it. Just don't get out of whack and overreact and panic when you get beat one time. Everyone's going to get beat. You lose, I mean, there's, they played 96 snaps. You're going to get beat in those snaps. Uh, he just got beat a few more times than a lot of people would probably hope for. So um, I, I still think he's your left tackle this year. Clearly, Joel Rudolph has more confidence in him than anybody else because there were 96 snaps. And he played 95 of them. The only time he came off is when he dinged up his foot. Uh, again, it was the sur- same surgically repaired foot. He's, he only missed one play, though. Logan Brown came in for one play, and then Tyler Beach came back in. Um, I know everyone wants to see Logan Brown because he's the five-star, and he can't be worse than Tyler Beach. Well, I don't think Joe Rudolph's keeping a guy off that was, it would be better than Tyler Beach. You know what I mean? Like He's not keeping Logan Brown on the sidelines just to mess with you guys. Like He just believes Tyler Beach at this point is better than Logan Brown. I had mentioned on the last show that when pro football focus did its grading, Tyler's pass blocking was 0.0, which I had mentioned I had not seen before, especially for someone who played that many snaps, but he owned up to it. I do think if this were to be something that continued, let's say he couldn't get out of his own way, that eventually we would see Logan Brown, but you're right. Joe Rudolph's entire approach as we talk about all the time, and he does too, is to put the five best guys out there. And he's the one who's grading them after every practice. He's the one who's watching them and talking to them. And if he's got trust in Tyler, then you have to go with the guy who is watching them every day. So again, I think it'll be a little bit easier scenario this week. And, and really, I think this will be a good opportunity for him personally, because if he plays well, then they've got the bye week. And then they've got Notre Dame. <laughs> so to have a game like this in between is probably pretty important for him and his confidence. Oh, it's huge for the offense in general with the confidence, right? Like when you score 10 points 
and you have the issues that they did in the red zone, and not even the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, you need some confidence building. And, and Eastern Michigan comes around at a very good time, you would think. I mean, we'll see what it looks like. But the last time you know, they struggled like this, and I, maybe I, I should hold this off until we make our picks, but the last time they struggled offensively like this in a season opener was you know, the 2016 opener against LSU when they scored 16 points. And I think it was only one touchdown. And they came back the following week and smashed. I think it was, I think it was Akron smashed Akron. Like it was, uh, they put up 50 some odd points. So I think you can get healthy here if you're Wisconsin and certainly Tyler beach will benefit from it, but Graham Mertz as well. And I can't believe no one's talking about Graham Mertz guaranteeing a win. I mean, it's, it's kind of surprising man, that, uh, it hasn't been front page news. Um, I'm kidding. Of course he, uh, he said uh, on Monday, Graham Mertz did, that the guys are hungry, we need to win, want to win, and we're going to win. <laughs> well, if he didn't have that mentality, I think you'd have problems from your starting quarterback. I, it's not about the mentality, though, right? Like it's, it's, it's about actually saying it. I think everyone has the mentality that you're going to win, but it's the actual saying it. But I, this would be a much bigger deal if he was saying this before Notre Dame as opposed to Eastern Michigan. Um, yeah, I, I like think if, so. You know what I mean? Like if he says, that, if he says this, Leading into September 25th, it'll, it, I think it'll have a little bit more traction, but uh, not against an Eastern Michigan team that beat, I think it was FCS St. Francis of Pennsylvania, um, 35 to 13 last week. So, yeah, we'll see. So Eastern Michigan does have a familiar name on, on the roster, at least one familiar name, I should say, and his name is Ben Bryant. For anybody who's unaware, he was at one point committed to the University of Wisconsin to play for the Badgers. And Jesse, I, I, the details of the story are, um, you know, it's, it's it's pretty obvious. You tweet about another team uh, after committing. You tweet about an offer from another team. And uh, usually it's not the big a deal. Graham Mertz did it all the time. Wisconsin, though, for some reason, not a huge fan of Ben Bryant doing it. It is sort of a weird story. And again, we, we only have publicly his perspective, and this is from four plus years ago, but he did commit to Wisconsin in that 2017 class. They ultimately also got a commitment from Chase Wolf, and and Bryant said after he decommitted and, and looked for another school that he told John Budmeyer about the fact that Georgia had offered him, even though he had no interest in Georgia. He was never going to visit. He was never going to flip his commitment, but he made a social pe- a media post about it, and then according to Bryant, the next day, Wisconsin told him that they were <laughs> essentially moving on, no longer interested in him, which is... Very unusual based on, as you said, uh, the things we've seen since that time. I mean, it is, it is not out of the ordinary for a kid to, to tweet about offers that he receives. You mentioned Graham Mertz, got a boatload of offers. Deacon Hill in this class got an offer from UCLA. I mean, Julius Davis, for example, he got a couple offers, big time offers after he had committed to Wisconsin. And yet you didn't see Wisconsin backing out of, of that commitment. So it is certainly strange. And I I will say, I wanted to do a story this week uh, on Ben, and I had reached out to Eastern Michigan's uh, sports information staff. And I shared shared this with you off the air, but I'm going to repeat it because to me, I found it to be uh, rather humorous. Um, The response was, and so Ben and another quarterback at, at Eastern Michigan split snaps. They've got a two quarterback system in the season opener. Uh, and so the response was with our quarterback battle, a hot topic right now, the staff has asked that I keep requests for both of the student athletes at a minimum. Um, I did not end up talking to Ben. 
I just found that particular comment to be interesting because I watched the head coaches Monday news conference as head coaches have in college football. And there was like one reporter asking all the questions. So I don't know how hot a topic it is out there in Eastern Michigan, but they did not want Ben to talk. And I said that it wasn't even really going to be a story about the quarterback battle. It was going to be a story about his college football journey, which certainly would have included if he was willing to talk about it, whatever happened with Wisconsin. Then he moved on to Cincinnati and now he's at Eastern Michigan. So a very unusual recruiting story and, and not something we have seen from Wisconsin in recent years in terms of just outright saying, if that is accurate. And again, we don't know that it fully is. You posted about an offer. We're done with you. Seems like a good choice, though, on Wisconsin's part to move on. Maybe maybe he's different here at Wisconsin, but he wasn't really able to get any run at Cincinnati very much. And uh, obviously, I mean, he split time last week and, and we'll see. I mean, he was eight for 10, had 126 yards. Uh, the, the quarterback from last year, I believe his name is Preston Hutchinson, was the starter, uh, went seven for 12 for 63 yards and a pick. Neither quarterback is probably going to take off and, and be a huge factor in the run game. Uh, but the play in both, uh, Preston Hutchinson and Ben Bryant, uh, Jack Sanborn said that he uh, actually knew Ben Bryant in high school. Wisconsin linebacker knew him in high school because they were out, they were from the uh, the same area in, in Illinois. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, but you're right. Like, it's kind of messed up that Wisconsin treated him like that, whereas they've treated all these other guys as just, you know, okay, it's fine. You can do that. It, it was weird. But in the end, I think it probably worked out better for Wisconsin that he ended up not coming here. Agree? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, they've got Chase Wolf, who's and, and I, that was an interesting thing about Chase's story, which is a an aside, but he didn't care if he was going to be the second quarterback. He was a backup in, in high school and wound up splitting time uh, with Sean Clifford, who was the starter for Penn State last week when they won a state championship. So I don't know whether that would have made a difference, the fact that they were going to have two QBs. And it's not often that they that they go the two-quarterback route, uh, Wisconsin, under, in, the, in the Paul Christ era. Now, they did it his first year, which is not something he would have done if he had a choice, when they had Alex Hornibrook and, um, remind me, <laughs> it's been a, Austin Kansas. Austin oh, you mean, oh, two quarterbacks. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, not a two-quarterback system, but when they bring two quarterbacks in a, in a recruiting class, I remember talking to Paul, um, about that a, a few years ago. Uh, he had said that like Austin was er- going to be an early enrollee and Paul got the job in December. And like Austin was said, would you have recruited me? And Paul basically said like, no, but you're in a position now where uh, you're coming. So let's, let's give a shot. Um, it, not something we've seen very often, but that was a, an unusual situation for, for, for sure. I mean, the first pass that we saw from Washington Fences was kind of like, all right, he's not a quarterback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when Tanner McAvoy makes you look poor, I mean, that's as a passer, that's saying something. That was a, that, that was a rough shot on Tanner. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Very, 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 very talented safety and even a, a solid wide receiver and even a great running quarterback. But the throwing left a little bit to be desired, though. Uh, in 17 straight completions, say, Western Illinois. Until last year, uh, when when Graham, I think, tied him for the uh, completions record, consecutive completions record, Graham's passes were slightly more down the field than, than Tanner's were that day. I re- if I remember correctly, I think there were a lot of ammo screens uh, to Alex Erickson and with uh, Jordan Frederick out blocking. It was, um, 
Yeah. And Melvin Gordon was held to like 30 some odd yards that game. So that was a lot of short passes from Tanner uh, coming off. the. I think it was coming off the LSU game in which they were not good throwing the ball in that game either. But either way, irrelevant at this point. Is uh, is Wisconsin allowed back into Chase's Chase Wolf's high school at this point? Yeah. <laughs> uh- Probably not by the high school coach, but the high school did tell me a couple days after that that uh, no school would be barred from uh, recruiting at the school. Yeah, that's what. That's why I was talking to uh, to Paul. Uh, we end up talking about defenses, but uh, yeah, that was one of the stranger stories in my time here when Chase Wolf uh, committed to Wisconsin, despite the fact that coaches were not allowed to recruit him at his high school because of a. Long-standing disagreement between Chase's high school coach and and Paul, uh, going back to when Paul had an offensive lineman at Pitt that uh, it didn't work out there, and that was when Paul first took over. And this coach still held a grudge all those years later. It was bizarre. This is, this is a fun story, though. It was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was, it was. Uh, so yeah, again, we'll see Ben Bryant versus Graham Mertz. I think Graham Mertz. Uh, it's going to have a nice bounce back game against Eastern Michigan. And I can't wait to see what, what the, what the running back situation looks like. And we do get to see Jalen Berger or not. Uh, again, uh, Saturday is going to be the, the anniversary of uh, the 20th anniversary of nine 11. If you remember, uh, obviously probably quite a few people listening to this podcast probably don't remember nine 11 and you're kind of in the same boat as the players, obviously. And even Paul, Chris kids, Paul was asked about, his memories from that day and and the you know the days after, uh, as he was out in San Diego, was the tight ends coach. His final year as the tight ends coach uh, was San Diego. Mike Riley was the head coach out there, and uh, he was asked about it today. and And here's what he had to say. Like you said, you know, we were on the West Coast, and you know, we were getting ready. We had a incredibly early uh, bye week that that week. So, but we were driving in, and and you know, on the drive in. Would go by a, a naval base, and you know was going in early, and, and something was off. You know, there's usually was very little traffic, and and then the base you could see it was cars backed up even onto the interstate. And you know when I got into the office, realized you know kind of what was happening, and you know I think it it certainly impacted so many people differently. But yet I would I think it'd be fair to say that we all were impacted on it, you know, that day. And, and I think really the day was more of, for me, it was more kind of that you were trying to process it all. I don't know if I took it all in and, and understood it. And then as, as time went on, it became a little, it was scary. You know, you didn't know what, what all was going on or what was kind of the ramifications from it. And, uh, but it did, you did find yourself, you know, just touching base with those you you love and care about. And then, you know, kind of as you go on, you, you realize there were some people that, you know, I had known and coached that were victims in it. And, and I thought it was really interesting when we went back and, and had the opportunity to play in the pinstripe bowl. You know, my kids uh, were really young and much like a lot of our players. And yet when we, we had the opportunity to go to ground zero, you know, how many years afterwards and and really, there weren't many players or my own kids that had vivid memories of it, but how, you know, that impacted them. And so it's, we all probably know exactly where we were at. A lot of times, I think it's probably hard to recall emotions, you know, that you felt certainly a long time ago, but, but not for me on that one. So that was uh, Paul Chris talking about his memories from 9-11. And obviously, uh, anybody that was uh, that 
you know, I don't know. How old do you think you had to be? 10, 11? I don't, I don't even know how old you have to be to remember it. But anybody that was uh, of age remembers exactly where they were and exactly what was going on at that time. For me, at that time, I was uh, living on campus. Uh, I think it was just a year out of high school. It was, uh, I came to, I think, I think I skipped class that morning, which was probably very, very <laughs> something that happened a ton, but came downstairs and saw a roommate watching it. And you didn't take your eyes off the screen for the next couple of days. Like it was just one of those things, but it also impacted obviously athletics and uh, Wisconsin, I believe uh, canceled their, their, their game that weekend and played the following weekend and green Bay, the NFL canceled their games that weekend. And I was at the first Monday night game after that. And it was against Washington who obviously, you know, with the attack on the Pentagon certainly was in everybody's mind as well. And uh, just an electric atmosphere at Lambeau Field in one of those games that you'll remember, even though I don't totally remember what happened in the game itself. But so I'm, I'm sure Saturday night is going to be pr- probably pretty emotional if I, I do expect them to have some kind of recognition of it. I think it'll be on everybody's mind. Certainly it was on, on Paul Chris' mind. And I thought that was a pretty good relay of where he was and what he was thinking and the impact it's had uh, on him. There's, there's really no good segue, but I'll, I'll make one anyways into your concern level for certain units of this team, Jesse. I want on, on, a, on a scale of one to 10, 10, holy crap. I'm so worried about this. I can't believe it. I, I can't sleep at night. And one, eh, nothing to be worried about. So, all right. Graham Mertz. <laughs> Six. <laughs> um, it's not like I think he's forgotten how to be a, a good quarterback, but we haven't seen enough of it in his time at Wisconsin. This is one of those get right games, I think. And if it's not, you probably got bigger problems. But it was uh, it was surprising, I think, to see how challenging things were against Penn State. And maybe we'll look back at the end of the season and say uh, maybe a lot of quarterbacks had that problem against Penn State because they were just that good at defense. But some of those problems did, didn't matter who the defense was, the, the fumbling issues, um, the maybe locking on to your first read and um, having some problems there. So I, I'm, I would say I'm at a six at this point because we just need to see more of the good gram, which we haven't, uh, didn't get a lot of, uh, and, and even in fall camp. Do you think they push the ball down the field more, or at least try to push it down the field more? I feel like they'll be able to pre- uh, protect them better than they did against Penn State. And if they do, I think they'll have some opportunities down the field if they choose to do that. They didn't, they didn't really toss it. And, and you know, I think probably um, one reason we didn't see a ton of it afterwards is because I think the first time they tried to do it, Graham got almost got sacked and he got tagged with the intentional grounding. And we didn't see too many more opportunities go down the field until late in that game. So I, I would imagine we will. I, I kind of feel like we're going to see some of what we saw against Illinois last year. We know, you know, when Graham had time and guys were running open and um, he was able to connect. And I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm not expecting, you know, one incompletion and five touchdowns, but I, I feel like he's going to have a, a really good game, a real good bounce back game. I would expect them to take some shots deep because if you can't do it this week, when can you do it? You've got Notre Dame coming up, got that game against Michigan. Graham was asked on Monday whether he felt like there were more opportunities to throw deep against Penn State. And he said there were definitely a lot. And he he acknowledged that there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But some of the he said some of the shot plays that we called just didn't work out. And that's how the game goes. And I do think that you have some issues early and maybe you you dial it back a little bit and you you try to think about what will work. So 
this is the week to do it, to take some of those shots. And if they're able to run the ball effectively, that obviously sucks the defense up. You've got some threats. thought Danny Davis had a pretty darn good game uh, for the opener, and Ferguson was targeted a lot. Those two guys were targeted 21 times on 35 passes. So I think um, I would expect them to take some shots, yes. I wonder if they get the running backs more involved in, in the passing game too. I, I really thought that that was going to be, and maybe that's just an off-season thing for Wisconsin. Like, gosh, you really think they're going to get the ball to the running backs more, get them out in space, let them do some things. But I thought that there would be more uh, an effort to get the ball in their hands, but they they just didn't. And then the other thing that I, that was also kind of surprising was the lack of uh, pre-snap motion against Penn State. It, that's always been kind of a staple of Paul Chris' offense. He was asked about that today and gave a pretty short answer, just said, you know, in our game plan, what we thought worked against Penn State, we didn't think that would um, be worth something about was that it wouldn't be worthwhile. I don't know. You probably have the quote in front of you. But yeah, I, don't, I expect we'll see more of that because that has been it is like Paul Chris offense, at least in you know most of his time. A lot of it is the same plays, but in different formations and getting your eyes and having to do all the mental gymnastics of keeping your eyes in the right place. And it didn't feel like that they were really testing Penn State in that respect. Maybe they just don't want to put anything on film for Notre Dame so they can go <laughs> in and destroy Jack Cohn. Oh, Jack Cohn. Jack. Oh We've boy. got two weeks to talk about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that is going to be, yes. He was, he, was, he was quite good. I will say that uh, Florida State's defense, especially that secondary, well, the, the first touchdown he threw, I don't know if a guy's ever been more wide open. I don't know if a tight end's ever been more wide open. Uh, it wasn't even close. It was a fourth down call. It was a, it was a great call on fourth down, but my goodness, the guy I could not have been more wide open. He did have a couple of dimes. The one touchdown late in that game uh, was an absolute beauty right down the right sideline. One of the other touchdowns was a jump ball. Like, I mean, it, it, there was a lot, a lot of good from Jack Cohn, but my goodness, he was throwing on air at times um, against Florida State's defense and Notre Dame's defense. Yikes. So we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, Wisconsin, if they can somehow bounce, bounce back this week and get a little bit of confidence going into Notre Dame, you know, we'll see. But to your previous point, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> go ahead. No, I'm, I'm waiting for you. But I did want to go back to your point about the running backs being involved more in the passing game. I was surprised too. I can't remember the first pass when they, they like Malusi caught a pass. It was the first one in like the second half or something. It was later in the game and it was just looked up and you almost couldn't believe that they hadn't done that yet. Though it, the three running backs that they have are all in position to be able to do that exceptionally well, I think. And, and Jalen, when I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, assuming he is able to play again at some point, actually prefers that stuff. He's in high school. He talked about how he would line up in the slot and, and likes to get a lot of his touches that way. We know Garendo's got a background as a wide receiver in Indiana, and, and that's something that Malusi does well, too. He, he was targeted a couple times, caught two passes. So I do think that's something that they, they should try and utilize a little bit more uh, to take the pressure off Graham, to help him get in a rhythm and open things up. And this, again, could be that week where they, they do some of that. Jalen Berger, one of the three running backs. That's funny. Um, <laughs> Assuming that he ever plays again. How about that? Yeah. Uh, all right, so concern level six with Graham Mertz. Concern level with the offensive line. Um, I feel like they'll get it figured out. <laughs> it wasn't a particularly great performance, especially as we mentioned from Tyler Beach. I'll say four and a half. Um, and, and also, I think in the moment, it was sort of like, 
why is Joe Rudolph switching three guys out right now? I think one of them came in the second half after they had scored a touchdown. Um, but we learned after the fact that that was the plan all along, that basically they've got eight guys that Rudolph felt like deserved to play. Um, so anyway, my answer is four and a half. <laughs> all right. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the similar switching. The thing is, like when they put it in the first time, when they put those three guys in the first time, that was their first, their offensive series that actually drove down. They ended up with the uh, blocked field goal. But after the first two drives, the offense really hadn't done anything. You bring in those three new guys in the middle and they went right down the field uh, only to obviously be, because I think that was, I think that was Caden Lyle's false start when they had uh, first and goal. So yeah, Uh, but it ended with the blocked field goal. So it wasn't like the, you know, when they first went in, they didn't move the ball. They did. They went right down the field. The second time didn't necessarily make a ton of sense to me, but the, the first one made perfect sense. Uh, and, and I thought it was successful until they got inside the five, which just, again, was an issue for everybody. And then uh, your concern level with Wisconsin's pass defense. Hmm. That's a tough one, too. I will also say six and a half. There were three really bad plays, uh, a couple major miscommunications and breakdowns, which we had addressed after the last game. Uh, that stuff can't happen. Um, but I feel like for the most part, it was a, a decent performance. <laughs> That's kind of like saying, uh, I don't know, a pitcher had a great game for eight innings, but in the ninth inning, he gave up the game winning grand slam or something like that. So maybe, <laughs> uh, I don't know, six and a half. What's your number on that one? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I guess right, right around that. I, I didn't think that they got beat physically except for a couple times. And, and they were lucky that Sean Clifford was, was not necessarily uh, accurate way down the field because they did get beat once or twice uh, straight up. But for the most part, I thought the, the issues were mental and that has to be disappointing because you have so much experience in that group. But yeah, we'll see. I, I, we'll see what happens this week. I, I think we're going to see a few new faces back there and and maybe we'll get to uh see uh, if if other guys can step up I, I don't i don't know how much eastern michigan is going to challenge them I, I don't but if they can get through a game without multiple coverage breakdowns that to me is a huge plus like if you give you that just has to be so frustrating if you're a coach right like you you you, t- you teach it all you've got the entire off season you do this you do that you've been working on this forever and then you have a fifth year senior just not know where he's supposed to be or completely ignore where he's supposed to be. Like that just has to be, I, I imagine it has to be so, so, so frustrating for a coach. I know obviously it's frustrating for fans, but you can accept physical limitations. You can accept physical mistakes, but mental mistakes, those are just uh, very, very hard to overcome. I think in my opinion, it's very, very difficult to just shrug those off. It makes you realize how many moving parts there are <laughs> to make a play work and that one, one thing ruins it all. But um, yeah, you just, you can't have that. And I, I feel like I'm always bringing up Notre Dame, but look, let's be real. That, that's what we're looking ahead to right now. Uh, you're going to need to fix that before you play, <laughs> play in that game. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's get into uh, some of our picks for the weekend. Another full college slate here starting Friday night, but we won't pick any of the Friday night games. We'll get straight into the Saturday games. We'll get to Wisconsin and Eastern Michigan in a bit, but I'll start with this one, uh, Jesse. Number three, Ohio State, uh, 14.5-point favorite against number 12, Oregon. The over-under is 64. This is a tough one because neither team 
both teams wish they would have played better in the opener. Oregon beat Fresno State 31-24. Uh, but this game is at Ohio State, and I feel like that means a lot. So I am uh, taking Ohio State to cover, and I will take the over on points. Yeah, I think this is going to be a lot of scoring in that yeah, one. The, yeah, the over, I think, is easy on this one, right? Like, I know it's 60. I know it's high. I think the high for the for the uh, weekend is 73, but 64 is pretty good. And I yeah, I think Ohio State, it's kind of funny. Ohio State was a 14.5-point favorite on the road at Minnesota. Now they get a top-12 team. Now we'll see where Kayvon Thibodeau is, the standout defensive lineman for, for Oregon who got hurt. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, but I got Ohio State, yeah, covering the 14 and a half and, and definitely hitting on the over. I think both teams, I don't know how good Ohio State's defense is. So I think the offense for uh, Ohio State's going to have score points and they will. And uh, I think the over hits easily. The big game in the Big Ten, I guess that's a big game, but the big game, the, the, and the biggest game, perhaps, Jesse, would you say this big game? Yeah, I mean, college game. Oh, yeah. College game oh. Day is going to be there. College game day is going to be there. They're going to be in Ames, Iowa. It's number nine, Iowa State. Against number 10, Iowa, the Hawkeyes, have believe, have won seven straight overall, and they've won five straight against Iowa State. They, uh, the Cyclones, though, despite what we saw in week one against Northern uh, Iowa, it's not pretty. Uh, they are four-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 46. Oh, I'm taking Iowa in this one. I was just yeah. so impressed with what the Hawkeyes did against Indiana. They look like the Big Ten West favorite, as we discussed before. Iowa State struggled with you and I. was a... 16 to 10 win that game was tied up at 10 late in the second quarter and Iowa State only managed a couple field goals from that point forward to win it so this is a really big deal in the state of Iowa in particular this is I think one of Iowa's players referred to it as Iowa State Super Bowl which is a great quote to uh really dig Iowa State with like it's one team Super Bowl and the other team is just like whatever kind of like perhaps Wisconsin and Marquette basketball <laughs> um, but I think Iowa wins this as far as the points that's tough uh, that's a that's a good number I think that I will take oof, I think I will take the over on that one all right yeah I, I got Iowa as well I'm gonna take the under on the 46 though I, I I really do like Iowa like I I, I think that they've they've found something and they are easily, I know, and again, it's week one. You don't want to make too many overreactions to what we saw in week one, but everyone was expecting Indiana to kind of replicate what they were able to do last year, and they did not. Obviously, the the injury or the the turnovers uh, from the quarterback weren't great, but yeah, I would, I guess I would, I would take Iowa. I'm going to take Iowa, I should say, in that game, and uh, I will take the under. Uh, the other Big Ten matchup that uh, of note, at least in my mind, Michigan. It's going to be hosting Washington. Michigan is minus seven and the over under 48 and a half. The game going to be played in the big house. Well, I will say this based on the week one performance, Washington <laughs> is a power five school in name only. <laughs> Washington right. lost 13 to seven to Montana FCS in Seattle. Montana. Yeah. FCS Montana. So <sighs> Michigan. Uh, and then I will take the, over. You say the over? I will take the over. Take the over. Maybe Michigan gets all, maybe Michigan wins 49 to nothing. And then <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, it's 48 and a half. 
I'm going to say Washington covers. I don't. I think it's going to be a tight game there. I know that obviously was not a good performance by any stretch against Montana, but I, I, it feels like you have that disappointment, but you bounce back in week two. There's there's a lot of talent there in Washington. I think, and um, yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take Washington, and I'm going to take the over for sure. One out of conference game of note: the Holy War. We learned a lot about the Holy War when Gary Anderson was here because he loved to talk about Utah. And so number 22, Utah taking on BYU. That game is in Provo. Utah is a seven-point favorite on the Cougars. 48.5 is the over-under. BYU beat Arizona in week one. Uh, hey, Pac-12 team. So <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with BYU to cover. And in terms of the over-under, I've been going overs. I'll take the under. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Utah there, and, and I'm gonna take the over as well. Uh, or you took the under. I'm taking the under. We have to dif- differ on something. Yeah. And, okay. You know, so I'm gonna. Let's just got, be real. It's a. This is a total guess. Yeah. I'm gonna take Utah and the over on uh, on that one. All right. Let's get to Wisconsin and Eastern Michigan. Wisconsin, 25 and a half point favorites. The last time I looked on BetUS.com. Again, you can go to BetUS and put in the. Uh, code the zone one two five. You get a hundred and twenty five percent sign up bonus if you use that promo code. Again, it's at betus.com. Uh, they have Wisconsin as twenty five and a half point favorites on Eastern Michigan. The over under is fifty two. A few stats for you before we get into this. Wisconsin twenty nine and one overall in its last thirty, dating back to tw- 2000, uh, 2005 when they're twenty five and a half point favorites or better. Can you name that one loss? Oh my God! Dating to two thousand seven, two thousand five, two thousand five. Can you give me a hint? It's recent. Uh, I need to look at the schedule. No, I don't know. Come on now. It's it's it was. Oh oh, Illinois. Yes, yes. God, what what's wrong with me? The twenty nineteen game. In Champaign, Wisconsin was, uh, I don't know the exact number, but they were, it was greater than 25 and a half. I think it was 30 and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so they lost that one, obviously. Against the spread, 13 and 17 as a 25 and a half point favorite. Hit the over 12 times of those 30 games or 29 games, I should say. There wasn't, for whatever reason, there wasn't over under for the Western, um, Western Illinois game back in 2012. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Either way, what do you think Eastern Michigan's record is when underdogs by at least 25 points? One and 13. Oh, and 30 uh, in, their last thir- in their last 30 games. So, uh, they, they, however, however, Jesse, and this is probably worth noting, they've covered 14 times uh, in that, that stretch, and the over has hit 21 times. These are good now, stats. Now, a lot of these games were against MAC teams. But there were some Big Ten games in there. The closest game of those of that we know the own thirty, but the closest game, two thousand seven, they beat they lost to Michigan by eleven points. And uh, I believe two thousand seven is the same year that was Michigan lost to App State, wasn't it? I think it was. Either way, who do you got? Wisconsin twenty five and a half point favorites on Eastern Michigan. This is a tough number. I guess it would have been less tough if they were 30 plus point favorites. <laughs> uh, since I have to pick one either way, I think that Wisconsin covers and I will take the under. I don't think Eastern Michigan's going to score very many points this week. So 
unless Wisconsin gets 45 plus, um, I'm going to go the under. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a 38, seven type of game where they cover, <laughs> but they don't, they don't get to 52 in total. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, but the last two times that they have struggled offensively in the first week of a season was 2015 against Alabama. They scored 17 points. Again, that was Alabama. And then the following year, they scored 16 points uh, against LSU in what was a win. So it all worked out. But in 2015, they came home and played a Mac school in Miami of Ohio and laid 58 on them. It was 58 to nothing. So I kind of feel that way with one. And then the second, and then the next year, they dropped 54 on Akron. So I'm going to say that they are going to cover and that they are going to put a beat down on Eastern Michigan and uh, the, the over will hit easily. Okay. All right. Well, we, we shall see. We this shall is not see. your, this is not your older brother's Mac football team. No, no, it's not. But again, your older brothers, yeah. I mean, 2016. I guess. I guess when I said last week, who cares what happened in 2016? Um, I care what happened in 2016. Wisconsin uh, bounced back and didn't put together a great offensive performance uh, in a win against LSU. But came back, dropped 54, and then they came back to ground, uh, came back to to earth the following week against Georgia State and beat them 23 to 17. And I believe that was the Alex Hornibrook uh, sure taking over in the, the second half game, and then uh, he started, I guess, the rest of the way until he got hurt. Uh, against Minnesota, and then Bart Houston got the final two games of the year. But yes, Wisconsin, Eastern Michigan, Saturday night. For some reason, it's going to be 90 degrees during the day on Saturday, but shouldn't be too bad at night. And uh, we'll see if Wisconsin does, in fact, bounce back. We'll see if Graham Mertz bounce back. I'm, I'm expecting a big game from Graham. I don't know if he's going to assuage anybody's fears because it is Eastern Michigan, but I, I do expect a, a bounce back game from him and, and getting look, looking much closer to what he did against Illinois last year. We'll see how it plays out. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.